Well, good morning, church. Man, it is exciting to be with you today. Hey, several years ago, I built a dining table for my family, and we have loved gathering at that table ever since. We host family and friends. We host them for food, for games, for conversations. We eat dinner around this table. We talk about our highs and our lows, our highlights, our holidays. We celebrate special occasions, and we talk about difficult situations, and we search for ways that God would want us to resolve them. At this table, we find so much significance because this table is a place of belonging. If you gather at this table, and I hope at some point you will with us, when you gather at this table, you're just one of us. You belong, you're friend. It's a place of acceptance. It's relational. We know that eating around the table builds bridges and it breaks down walls and it is just a great place to connect. And our table was no different than any other table where all those same things happen. And so that's one of the things that I love about Jesus. One of the things I find remarkable about Jesus is that when Jesus would meet people, so often he would join them for a meal. He would invite them to have a meal with him. He might invite himself over to their house. And Jesus did that because he knew that when people got close to him, it would change them forever. And today we're going to take a look at one of those dinners Jesus had with a notorious sinner, the notorious Z, if you will. Now we're in week seven of Quest 52 this week. That means you should be reading chapter seven as we move forward this week. And if you are brand new to us, you can grab one of these books on your way out today. We have them on a discount in the lobby and you just jump right into where we are. Don't feel like you gotta play catch up. You can just jump right into chapter seven, that's okay. If you've been with us for a while this year and uh, the previous six weeks, but you have gotten behind in the reading, that's okay, you don't have to play catch up. Just jump right into chapter seven, join us where we are, it's totally okay. And we believe pretty strongly in what we're doing this year as we pursue Jesus because we know that the closer people get to Jesus and the more time they spend with Jesus, the more Jesus will change their life and that's always a good thing. Not just because of what God wants from us, but all that God has for us. So we invite you to join us in that journey. So again, we're in week chapter seven. Let me give you a little context for our encounter with Jesus this week. Jesus lived up in this region in a town called Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus traveled down to Jerusalem. Now we would say he traveled down because he was going from north to south. But the Jewish people of that time and even so many of them today, they didn't look at directions like north and south for up and down. In fact, they would always say you were traveling up to Jerusalem because elevation mattered more. And Jerusalem sits at a higher elevation. It sits a, a beautiful city on top of a tall hill. And so it has a higher elevation than these areas around it. And you would always be traveling up to Jerusalem. In fact, in the Old Testament Psalms, the hymn book, the Psalter, the song book, and the prayer book of the Old Testament, they had many psalms of ascent that would be shared, recounted, and told as they were moving up to Jerusalem. So at this particular occasion, Jesus has made his way towards Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. And all the people from this region, as they were traveling to Jerusalem, would first go through the city of Jericho. Jericho had a strategic location about 15 miles from Jerusalem. 
If you were traveling there today and you were traveling the way we Americans often travel, you might think of it as your last pit stop. This is where you're going to fuel up before you get to town. This is the last potty stop. Fuel up for food. Fuel up and you got to make that last last stretch. This is the final stop before, Jer- or before Jerusalem. But because of that, because of all the traveling and the people funneling through Jericho, it was also a great place for the Romans to collect a whole lot of taxes. So with that in mind, we step into the story in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered the city of Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Yeah, he became very rich precisely because he was the chief tax collector. See, the way it worked is the Romans had conquered the Jewish people. And when the Romans conquered another group of people, they would oppress them. They ruled with violence, and they ruled with oppression. And when they conquered other people, they would often recruit those people they had conquered from those people. They would recruit various positions to set those people up kind of over their own people as kind of the insiders for them. And one of the positions they would do that with was a tax collector. Any place the Romans went, they collected taxes. And they chose tax collectors out of the indigenous people they conquered. And they would kind of turn those people against their own countrymen, but they had an insider to the countrymen. So they would recruit these tax collectors. And when the Romans would first come into town, they would march in, the military would come in, and they would demand that people declare their allegiance to Caesar the emperor. And if you did not declare your allegiance to Caesar, you would be imprisoned if not executed. So that's the kind of rule the Romans had. And to be the tax collector in one of those areas, you had to pay for that right. You had to purchase the position of tax collector, but it was a good position because it came with protection from the Romans and it ended up being pretty lucrative. They would recruit these people and every few years they would put that position back out to bid. And the person who bidded the highest amount would get the position of tax collector. And the way the tax collection worked is you made all the money from those taxes and you got to keep a cut of it. Now, the Romans taxed everything. They had customs taxes, import taxes, export taxes, toll bridge taxes. And if you cross over to Indiana regularly, you understand some of these taxes, right? They had crop taxes and sales taxes and property taxes. We get it, right? We could tell our, our U.S. government, hey, there's a lot of good things that maybe you borrowed from Rome. Calm down on the taxes. That's not one of them, right? Like we have all kinds of taxes for everything. So did they. And when they had special things, they were building something special in the city of Rome, they would tax the empire to pay for it. When Rome was going to war in one part of the empire, they would tax the whole empire to pay for it. All these specialty taxes, taxes all the time. And as chief tax collector, Zacchaeus had other tax collectors who were working for him, kind of a Ponzi scheme, right? Kind of a pyramid scheme. So he had these other tax collectors who worked under him called tax farmers, and they taxed people at the going rate. Now, Rome didn't particularly care how much you taxed these people as long as Rome got their cut. So the way it worked is you collected taxes, and whatever extra tax you got was part of your pay. And that's how they made their living. Well, The tax farmers got a certain bit, but they had to pay an extra bit to the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. So he was getting money from everybody else, plus collecting taxes in his area. So he was living quite lucratively. He would then pass the money on to Rome, but only what Rome wanted, and he got to live large. You can imagine how lucrative it was. He has the military backing him. He can ask for as much as he wants. He was rich. As you can imagine, those people did not particularly like him. Because these tax collectors collected money from their own people, 
They gave it to the oppressive Romans who then used that money to oppress the people even more. So yes, Zacchaeus was very rich. He was also very hated. He was that guy. And that sets us up for what happens next. Luke 19 verse 3. Zacchaeus tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. How many of you remember the song from when you were a kid? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he? All right, you got it, right? So he was a tiny little guy, right? What we know of him, he was a short guy. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, I'm a bit over six foot tall, and at my height, it's not often that I can't see most of the things I want to see. I just don't really have that problem. My problem is I hit my head on things that shorter people don't have to worry about. But for me, I I usually get to see what I want. But I know that even still, when I'm in a large crowd, if I'm at a sporting event, if I'm at some gathering and there's a big crowd, if I'm at a concert, if I'm at a parade and I want to see something close up, I still need to get in the first couple rows. Because even at my height, I know that to see what I want to see, I still got to get close. And I know that's even harder for people who are more vertically challenged to see. That's why when my kids were little, I would put them on my shoulders. Now, if you meet Ethan or Lydia today, you would know that I don't have to worry about that anymore. My kids now look me in the eye. It's like their sign of pride to like, I think I'm taller than dad now. All right, whatever. But I'm still smarter and tougher. So there we go. I got the dad stuff going, all right? So my kids now look me in the eye, but there once was a time they were short enough they had to go on my shoulders. Well, Zacchaeus didn't have anybody to put him on their shoulders, and that would have just been weird for the old guy, right? So Zacchaeus runs ahead of the crowd, runs ahead of the parade of people who were going with Jesus and the entourage, and he climbs up this tree. Now, we often refer to it as a sycamore tree, but if you see a sycamore tree, which I love sycamore trees, I think they're beautiful, they're grand, I love these trees, but they're big, they're tall, their limbs are way up, and I think, how in the world could a wee little man climb a great big tree? Well, different kind of tree. What Zacchaeus climbed was a sycamore fig tree, and that looks a bit different. Still beautiful trees, but they grow very differently. Multiple trunks coming up. And this is actually a young sycamore fig tree. As they get older, they have massive limbs on them. Limbs big enough, easy to climb. They're low to the ground and easy enough for a guy like Zacchaeus to climb and then be hidden amongst the foliage and the large branches. So here's Zacchaeus. And I love this part of the story because kids climb trees. And especially in that culture at that time, a guy like Zacchaeus with the stature he had as the chief tax collector... It would have been totally undignified, way below his stature, his status, to climb in that tree. But he climbs up in that tree to get a better view of Jesus. But there's also enough that he can kind of hide in there and not necessarily be seen. So Zacchaeus climbs up in this tree. He's wanting to see Jesus, but he probably doesn't think that Jesus wants to see him. He's kind of hiding out. And maybe that's how it is for some of you. Maybe that's how it was for you the first time you joined us. You one to kind of hide in the back row, hide on. Maybe that's the way it is for some of you today. You're new to us, so you come in late, you leave early, you're kind of hiding in the back. I get it, there's no shame in that. You're sitting close enough that you can see what's going on, but far enough away that you still get to hide, you get to be anonymous. Some of you joining us online, you're not quite sure what to expect here, so you're checking us out from a distance. We get it, that's okay, that's not a bad place to begin. But here Zacchaeus is up in the tree wanting to see Jesus and probably not thinking that Jesus might want to see him. And then Jesus says, 
When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, get down. And you know everybody else was thinking, all right, yeah, baby, let him have it, Jesus. Like, they're wanting somebody to put this little man in his place. Like, Zacchaeus, you've been ripping us off. You're a jerk. You tax collector. You, you guy, right? Like, I mean, they, they're thinking, and they're like, Jesus is just the guy to put him in his place. Jesus is just the guy to tell this guy what's up and to beat him down. When I was a kid, my dad would always take me to the Illinois State Fairs. In our hometown, we'd go to the fair, and every year there was a parade to begin the fair. And so dad would take me to the parade. We'd go. And, and on one particular occasion, there we stood. We were front row at the parade. I'm grabbing the candy. And then like every year, the governor comes by. And so as the governor starts to come by, my dad says, you stay here. He steps out from the crowd, steps off the curb into the street, grabs his hip and points at the governor. You can imagine what happens next. The parade stops, that gets the attention of the crowd, it gets the attention of the governor, it gets the attention of the entire security detail around the governor. And my dad looks at the governor and says, hey everybody, it's the governor, grab your wallets. Now in Illinois, that's fair, par for the course, because most of our governors end up in prison for financial issues. So, like it, it was a legit thing for him to do. The whole crowd laughed because they knew what was going on, they knew that governor was corrupt, just like the rest of those Illinois politicians and you know, all that. So they laughed, my dad told me, hey, when we get home, probably not tell your mom about that one. <laughs> you wanna know the first thing I told my mom when we got home? You wanna? guess where mom and dad went behind closed doors to have a conversation about that but legit right now if you were there when jesus called down zacchaeus if you were actually standing in front of zacchaeus what would you say to a guy like that what would you want to say to that guy what's with you man you're a jerk you sold us out you're a traitor to the people you're a traitor to israel what's wrong with you you're a thief, you're corrupt, you're greedy, you're a swindler. Like you steal from us, man. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You know God is ashamed of you. But you just hear what they would wanna say, which is so shocking about what Jesus actually says to him. I must, I must, that's a very strong word in the original Greek language. I have to, I cannot not do this thing. I must be a guest in your home today. He's gonna be a guest at this guy's house. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Of course he had excitement and joy. Somebody wants to come to the tax collector's house. This guy invited himself of all people. It's Jesus, the traveling rabbi in his entourage. Can you imagine when Zacchaeus runs through the door? Hey, honey, I brought some guests for dinner. And she's like, who'd you bring? Which Roman official this time? Who are we schmoozing? And she looks and sees a rabbi and thinks, what have you done? What is going on? Jesus and the boys, they're coming for dinner. Whoa, I didn't prepare for this. Are you you can imagine what's going on in Zacchaeus' home that day. And I love, I love that Jesus invites himself over. But take a look at how the crowd responds. The people were displeased. Actually, that's not a very great translation. They were furious. The people were furious. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. He's going to the notorious Z's house. What? You just imagine, Jesus, do you know this? 
wait, 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 Jesus, that guy, of all the people here in the crowd, of all the people who would love to host you, you're going to his place, his, do you know who this dude, do you know what this dude has done? This guy's a traitor to you. Jesus, you're a traveling rabbi carpenter from a no-name town. You've lived under the oppression because of guys like him. What are you doing going to his house? Like, sure, he's rich, he's probably gonna have a good meal, but listen, you're going to his place? It didn't just bother those people. If we think about it long enough, this bothers us. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. That's kind of how Jesus is. When you examine the life of Jesus, you read through the Gospels and you see who Jesus interacted with and how he interacted with them. Well, what you find is that Jesus never really comes down hard on people like Zacchaeus. When Jesus comes down hard on people, it's the religious people. Jesus is always hardest on the people who think they've got it together, who think they're close to God, who think that somehow their sin is not as bad as the sin of the other people who sin differently than them. Who Jesus has compassion on again and again and again every time are the people who are far from him. Jesus always has compassion on the people who are distant from him. So he invites those people to do things like eat with him. There's never a spot where Jesus expected people who were far from God to act like they were anything other than people who were far from God. So instead, he invites them to get close to him, to share a meal with him, to have a place of belonging with him, because he knows that proximity to him will change their lives. And then he can speak into their lives in a different way. He can call them up, not just to more of what God would want from them, but of all the beauty that God has for them. So Jesus went to Zacchaeus' home and shared a meal. And by the time the ice cream and cookies came out for dessert, they had a lot to celebrate because Zacchaeus had changed his ways, he changed his life. Zacchaeus had determined to make amends for his sin. We follow along with it. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if, if, if I've cheated people on their, he's still in process, right? We give him a little, little slack there. If I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Now what he's doing here is saying, I'll follow the law of the Lord. Exodus chapter 22, God gives the law to Moses. Moses gives it to the people. And it says, if somebody cheats people, if he steals from them, if he takes from them and gets gain in an unethical way, he must repay what he's taken four times as much. So Zacchaeus says, I'll follow it to the T. I will give back four times as much to all the people I've taken from. But he doesn't stop there. He's not content with that. He also says, I'll give half of what I have to the people who don't have anything. Radical generosity, I'll surrender it to them. What a beautiful thing. And this doesn't happen because Jesus condemns Zacchaeus, because Jesus was beaten down on him, telling him how much of a jerk he was, how wrong he was, how greedy he was. No, no, Jesus gets close to him, it changes Zacchaeus' heart. And what we find is that because Jesus welcomed him and spoke the truth to him, Zacchaeus has a change of heart. And this is how Jesus responds to Zacchaeus Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faith, the great patriarch. 
To be a son of Abraham was to belong to God. She says, this man belongs to God because he's demonstrated that he has surrendered to God. Jesus treated the outsider like an insider. And because of that, Zacchaeus was changed from the inside out. And then Jesus said, that's exactly why I came. If you've ever ever wondered what Jesus' mission was, ever wondered what his purpose was, ever wondered why he came, he spells it out in the very next statement. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Church, read this with me. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's why Jesus came. In John chapter three, he tells us that he didn't come to condemn us, he came to rescue us, to save us, to free us. He didn't come to beat us down on our sin, he came to rescue us from it. We weren't bad because of our sin, we were prisoners because of our sin, and he came not to make bad people good, he came to make lost people found. That was his mission. And church, if that's Jesus' purpose, that must become our purpose also. As a follower of Jesus, his mission becomes our mission. His mission becomes your mission. It must. And so our mission is to seek and save those who are lost. The way we say that around here at Oklahoma Christian Church is we help everyone find and follow Jesus. Read that one with me, church. We exist to help everyone find and follow Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we're about. We want to help them get close to Jesus and then help them grow up in Jesus. That's why we're here. And I love all the stories of how we see that happen. But sometimes there's stuff that gets in the way. Sometimes there's stuff that complicates that and that creates some barriers to that. One of those barriers is when we forget how lost we once were. When we forget that we once stood opposed to God as enemies of God, as people dead in their sins. That there was a time when we were not his children, we were not his friends, we were in rebellion against him and we were his enemies. And we, when we forget that that was once true of us, we can lose sight that our mission is to rescue others, to help them get near Jesus, instead of just pointing a finger of condemnation towards them. I love all the stories of life change here at OCC. We'd be here for days if I recounted all of them, and there's so many more I'm not even aware of yet. Marriages that were on the brink of disaster and divorce that are now thriving Parents and children who've had relationships restored who were once estranged and now they celebrate together every week. Addicts who now walk in freedom. People who were desperate and hopeless who now bring hope to others. On and on it goes. People who've experienced dramatic change. Change in their belief, in their behavior, in their values. All because they've encountered Jesus and he has changed them from the inside out. And they now walk with him. But this strange thing happens. Like we get close to God, we find our place of belonging at the church, we get into Bible studies and small groups and we learn about God and we find community and we, we build spiritual friendships and we read the Bible and it changes us and we are motivated to serve and we begin using our talents and our gifts and our resources to serve others and help others and somewhere along the lines with all this great stuff going as we grow in our faith, it's as though we get spiritual amnesia. We just have this moment when we forget that once we were so far from God, that once we were so new to the whole church thing. And when that happens, when we get the spiritual amnesia, 
we began expecting people who are far from God or people who are brand new to the faith to live as though they have walked with God always. And, and I, listen, I think it's only appropriate that we help people who are believers grow in their faith. We wanna help them follow. And that means when we sin, we need to be called out on it. Now scripture tells us, Paul writes to the church at Galatia, when a brother or sister sins, restore them gently. So we need to gently do it, not arrogantly, not harshly, but we need to help one another grow. That's part of the beauty of things like Rooted and our small groups and our care groups, that it's a place to find your belonging and to be nurtured along in your faith. And we help one another grow. But I find it somewhat absurd when there's people who are far from God that we expect to live as though they walk with God. It just doesn't make sense. Sometimes I think the formula just begins to look something like this. We, we tell people that the outside world gets the sense that they have to behave in all the right ways first before they can believe. And then once they're behaving right and believing right, then they can belong here. But that's country club churchianity. That's not Christ-centered Christianity. That gets it totally backwards. See, it's kind of like if I've got a pipe that bursts in my home and I call the plumber, the plumber comes to my house and he says, oh, you gotta fix that pipe before I help you. Well, wait a second, that's why I called you because I, I'm not able to fix that. See, the spirit works upon people first to help them believe, but he works in us once we surrender. The Holy Spirit works upon us to move us towards belief. Once we surrender, once we declare our belief in Jesus, then the Spirit comes into us. The Spirit indwells us at baptism. He fills us. That's when he leads us, guides us, changes us, and guides us in truth, reminds us of Scripture. So he's working on us before that, but he works in us after that. Let's not mix up that formula. See, friends, here's the deal. When people are far from God, let's not expect them to live as though they're not. When they're far from God, the goal is not to get them to change their behavior, to get them to change their political views or their sexuality or their particular sin pattern, to get them to live like us or just sin like us instead of sin like they do. The goal is not to get people to change their behavior. The goal for us is to get people to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work and to come alongside the Spirit so we can winsomely give them a place to belong to help them grow in their faith. See, the formula that Jesus gave us looks like this. You belong first. Come, have a meal. Let's get together. You belong here. And then when you find that you are safe, you're safe to question, to doubt, to wrestle, to have some uncertainty, to have some cynicism, but yet you're still welcome here. Eventually, you bump up against Jesus enough you believe. And then it changes everything about the way you live. Then you follow See, Jesus invited people to belong, and as a result, they believed. And as a, as a result of that, they changed everything about who they were. So let's not run ahead of the Holy Spirit, but let's give the Spirit room to work through us, to work on others, so that eventually he can work in them as well. Let's give people a place to belong. So one of the things that creates a barrier is when we forget how lost we were. Another thing that creates a barrier to helping people find and follow Jesus is when we don't have friends who don't know Jesus. Now, it's a good thing for us to have a lot of spiritual friends, for us to connect with other people, and, and our primary friend circle should be people who walk with God to help us grow and follow him. But that should be our primary, but not our exclusive group of friends. 
So we need to have proximity to people who are far from God. And for some of us, that takes work. Listen, my family all follow Jesus. My wife, my kids, my coworkers follow Jesus. I, work, I hope you think that's a good thing, that the church staff follow Jesus, right? Like I'm, I'm friends, most of my friends circle love Jesus, they follow Jesus, so I gotta get out of that circle and get in proximity to people who are far from God. Because if I don't, I'm gonna like dry up in that and I'm gonna forget what it's all about. And we gotta be intentional about getting around people who are far from God. And, and here's the thing, like Jesus never asked us to isolate ourselves from the world. He gave us a mission to go penetrate the world. He didn't say remove yourself so far from the world and isolate from it, no, he said, Gather up, get equipped, and go out on mission and penetrate the world. That means we gotta go to the people who are far from him. They are not the enemy, they are the mission. They're not bad, they're prisoners. <laughs> they need us to show them the way. And so, what we see in the life of Jesus is something that is very hard for some of us to understand. And I wrestle with this that I've recently been convicted, like what we see in the life of Jesus is if we are not close to people who are far from God, we're probably not as close to God as we might think. Let me say that again for you. If you are not close to people who are far from God, you're really not that close to God because God is always close to those who are far. His heart is always for those who are far from him. He came to seek and save the lost, to pursue them, and so must we. So if we're gonna seek and save the lost, if we're gonna help everyone find Jesus and follow him, that means we gotta do what we launched this year doing for each one of us to reach one for the glory of the one. And we reach everyone one person at a time and Jesus gave us a really great example of how we begin that with one meal at a time. So I'm gonna ask you, who's your one? Who's your Zacchaeus? A neighbor, a family member, a coworker, a friend, the, the parent of one of your kid's friends, the kid of one of your parents' friends, another kid at school, a teammate, up here, who is it? Who's God put in your path who's far from him? And if God hasn't put anyone in your path, pray, God, draw me close to someone who needs to get close to you. Super simple prayer. God, put me close to somebody who needs to get close to you. And then help me make that happen. And remember, we begin with belonging. And so as we each one reach one for the glory of the one, it happens one person at a time with one meal at a time. So here's the deal. Your assignment from the preacher is super easy. Go eat. Like, yes, that's biblical. Go share a meal. I mean, maybe it's not even a meal. Maybe you just start with coffee. Make it good coffee. And treat the other person. So if you're treating them, make sure it's good coffee. Make sure it's a good meal. But treat the other person. And just begin with no other agenda than to build relationship, to build friendship, to give them a place to belong. Let them belong first. Just ask them some questions. Hey, what's your story? Hey, you know I go to church. What's your history with church? Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. And as you do that, be prepared because life is messy and they might share some mess. They might even share some messiness and some woundedness that came from the church or came from religion. And you don't have to fix it. You don't have to correct all the messy theology. Just connect with them. Give it time, give it space, build friendship. It'll get corrected in due time. So church, who will you share a meal with this week? That's your assignment. Go have a meal, go share a cup of coffee with somebody who's far from Christ with the only agenda of listening and building friendship. Now maybe you're here today and you are the one. 
Maybe you've been hiding out. Maybe you're feeling lost and disconnected. You're longing to belong somewhere and you wonder where that place might be. You're checking us out from a distance, checking us out online. And you're wondering, will the church really allow me to belong here? With all my mess, with all my stuff, the things that have been done to me, the things I've done to others, will God really accept me? Friends, we sang it earlier. The cross is enough. You are welcome, you are accepted, you belong here. Because it's level at the foot of the cross. The cross was enough, not just for you, but for all of us. There's not a person here who didn't need the cross of Christ. There's not a person here who's good enough, like our sin didn't need saving as much as your sin. That just doesn't exist. Every one of us was dead in our transgressions, dead in our sins, an enemy of God, far from God, and rebellion to God before the grace and the mercy of God drew us to him. Every one of us needed Jesus as equally as the person next to us. So if you're new to us and you think you've, you're too far gone, welcome to the club. You belong. You belong. And if you've never yet made the decision to come out of hiding, listen, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, he called him by name. Jesus knows your name too, and he's calling your name, and today is the day you need to answer. And so we'd love to connect with you. If you're joining us online, you just reach out to the host and say, I'm ready to talk about belonging. If you're here in person, and you're ready to take your next step forward, meet us in the next step area after service, and just tell us, man, I'm ready to talk about belonging here. I'm ready for what's next. And we'd love to have that conversation with you. But at this moment, I'm gonna ask all of us to stand and we're gonna pray. I'm just gonna ask you to hold your hands out like this to receive from God. Just to loosen your grip on the way things have been so you can just receive from God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God of belonging. That you are the God who has welcomed all of us to belong to you. So God, in this moment, with hands open. We, we relinquish all these other things that we've held on to so that our hands might be open to receive you. God, for those who've been far from you, who have not yet surrendered to you, we, t we pray that today would be their day, their turning point, defining moment that they choose you to belong to you, to find freedom and joy in all that you have for us. God, for those of us who have surrendered to you, that we confess, we ask your forgiveness for the times that we get it wrong, that we get spiritual amnesia, that we get so focused on behavior that we lose sight of our Savior. Because we can't behave our way into heaven and we can't behave our way into higher status with you, God. We just need you and we need your spirit more and more to lead us and guide us. And so that's what we ask, that we would receive your spirit afresh in this moment guided by you, directed by you. God, thank you that we can belong to you and to one another. Give us the courage to live on mission, to do all we can to help people who are once far from God, who are far from God like we once were, that they might be close to you like we are now. And God, we pray this for your glory and yours alone. Amen.